This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome, everybody. It's so good to be back together, one location throughout the summer. We're uh, so thankful for what happened at our downtown campus over the last 10 weeks. I I told you when we were planning to open it that we were going to try it. We were going to see how it goes. And the intentionality actually behind that was like, let's figure out what this looks like. What are the lessons we need to learn? What do we need to know? And uh, throughout that, we got uh, some new folks. And so uh, we're so thankful for some of you who are maybe for the first time at this location. And so for kind of the the next season, uh, we're going to be one church in one location, uh, two services, 9 and 1030. If there's any changes in that, you'll hear that in plenty of time so that you can understand and make plans. Now, I do want to let you know that uh, next Sunday, we're starting a new series called Bad Girls, okay? So uh, if, if you're on just like, you know what, I just need some bad, bad girls, okay? Starting next week, I've invited some of our staff um, who are, are females to co-teach with me. Uh, we're going to go through some stories in the Bible for the next four weeks that I think are really important and, and shine light on lessons that, especially in our current context, we need to learn. I'm excited about what that's going to mean for us in the next several weeks. Now, today we're calling this Summer Vision Sunday, and I, I want to talk about vision. I want to talk about vision because when you look at the summer, what, what do you see? Let, let's start with that question. When you take a step back, just kind of proverbially looking over your life this summer, what do you see? Do you see a chance to finally get a break? I've been so busy, I need a break. Do you look at the summer as just, it's, it's so full, it's so busy, I don't, have a, I don't have a day to breathe. It's just, it's just busy, is that what you see? When you look over your summer, are you like, I, I need some rest. Y'all go get these kids, get them out this house. Mama needs a nap, all right? All right, or do you look at the summer as an opportunity for some fun, some recreation? Your vision, just simply put, your vision is what you see. It's what you see. And today we're going to talk about the vision that you have for your summer, but just in all actuality, sometimes we need to adjust what we see. You ever been in that moment when your kids are just kind of, they're chaos, and you're looking at them, and you're like, they they are a burden. And what you, I need to take a step back and, and see something different. They're not, they're not a burden. They're a blessing. They're a blessing. I need to see that. That's vision. Some of us, vision impacts the, the, the way that we view our financial resources. Okay? We, we might look at the, the money that we've earned and we might say that, that this is mine. I earned it. I earned it. I deserve it. Or we might look at it and say, this is what I was entrusted with. This is what I was given. Both, both of those are radically different visions. And they, 
lead to different consequence. If I look at my financial resources and my vision for is, this is what I earned, this is what I have, then the next question is, what do I do with what I have? But if I look at what's in my hands in life and say, this is what I was given, God gave me this, then the logical next question is, I turn to God and go, God, what do you want me to do with what you gave me? They have different consequences. If you want to change where you're going and what you're going to get, what you get, start with your vision. Start with your changing your vision. Think about it. Like the vision for your summer, I need a break. What's going to happen when you get done with that break? You're going to go back to the same broken stuff. You're busy. I, I, I mean, we've just crowded our lives with so many different things. I mean, it, we're just busy, busy, busy. What, what do you get? What do you, when you're done with all this stuff, what, what are you left? You're just tired. You're tired. Rest, right? That's not a bad thing. Rest is actually a holy thing. But if you have a few days that are down to rest and you're still tired, you're not tired. There's something else more deep that's going on. And if your whole goal when you look at the summers, I just wanna, I just wanna have fun. I, I feel like I'm just, I've worked so hard. I deserve a break. I wanna have some fun. Here's the thing: if fun is the only goal you have, you're gonna end up with some stuff that's pretty broken and busted on the back end. And the problem with this is that for many of us, we've approached summers with the same vision. And then we get to the fall with the same problem. If you want something different, you need a different vision. You need a different vision. You need to see it differently. If you want something different in your life, you you need to accept the responsibility. I need a different vision. I need to learn to see this in a different way. And it's so important, especially in the summer, because during the summer, we experience what I'd call an increase in margin. Some of y'all are not familiar with that term because that's kind of a term we use around here. What's margin? Margin is the difference between what you have and what you need, okay? So it, it might be a situation where you, you need uh, uh, this much, but you have this much, and there's margin. There's margin that's different between, between what you have and what you need. Margin can, can be there financially. Margin can be there uh, just kind of in your energy for relationships. Margin can be there in your time. And often during the summer, there's an increase in our margin, especially in our time. And here's why this is important. An increase in margin exposes our vision. I'm not talking about what you say you want to do with your life. I'm talking about what you actually see. Because a lot of times what we see as the opportunities is not what we espouse as our real vision for our life. Can I just give you an example? Let's say you made some plans tonight. You're going to go out with some friends. And all of a sudden, they cancel. You now have more time than what you had planned for. There's a margin there. There, There's a margin of time. So what do you do with it? You take a nap. You want to know what a lot of us will do? You know, I've been meaning 
to catch up on Yellowstone. I'm, I'm going to binge watch about four hours of some TV. Or do you take a step back and go, well, wait, what's my vision? What really matters? And you look at your spouse and you go, you know what? We had planned on taking this time. Any, why don't we go on a date? Let's go get some dinner. Let's go sit down and talk. What happens is a lot of times the, the margin that expo exposes where we are. You get, you get a little bit more money than you were planning. You get a raise. You get a bonus. You know, a lot of us are, I've been, I've been wanting those shoes. They're too expensive. But, but now I got a little bit more money. I'm going to go buy me some of those shoes. Oh, I've always wanted to take that trip. We could never afford to take that trip. Let's go take that trip. Or do you take a step back and go, well, what's my vision? My vision is to be generous. And then I'm going to save and I'm going to invest. Do you take a step back and go, well, now there's more. I'm going to do with that what my vision is to do. Or do you let it get hijacked? Our vision for life often hijacks our resources to fulfill our wants instead of our needs. Because our vision is oriented around our wants and not around our needs. Oh, it's easy to confuse wants and needs. It's easy. And we, we say that in, in the sense of something like shoes, right? I need a new pair of shoes. I don't need a new pair of shoes. I got way too many shoes already. I don't need it, but I might want it. But there's other places that we buy into that lie too. Oh, I'll, I'll move on when they apologize. I need that apology. You need it? No, you don't. You want it. But you can move on and give some grace without it. We often confuse needs and wants, and it actually comes around the lie that the enemy sells what I'd call the lie of immediacy, where we often sacrifice what we ultimately need for what we want right now. We sacrifice what we need for what we want in the immediate. It's just screaming at you. I need it. I need No, you don't. You want it. There's no story in the Bible that highlights this better than Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. They were so different. Jacob was kind of a girly guy, okay? He stayed at home and did some cooking with mama, took care of the house. And Esau, Esau was manly. He went out and went hunting. I mean, he was the guy who went out of the house. If there was meat that was needed, it was going to be Esau that was going to go out and kill something and bring it home. He was also, we know uh, from contextual evidence, he was quite hairy, okay? Manly and hairy. And then you got Jacob, who's apparently not very hairy and quite girly and stays at home and cooks. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. Which meant that in the context of their family, he was the, the oldest son, the one who was going to receive the birthright. And out of that, there were two very important things. He would get a double blessing. 
So when the estate was divided, it would always be divided into one more than, than it would normally. So two sons, it would be divided into three, and the oldest would get the double blessing, birthright. When the father passed away, it would be the oldest son out of that birthright that would take over the family who would become the leader. And so in Genesis 25, old Esau shows up from having been out hunting. I'm hungry. What's Jacob been? Jacob been at home cooking some stew, okay? And Jacob is, at this point in time, he's, he's a little manipulative. He's a little controlling. He's evil in some regards. Oh, I'll give you some stew if you'll sell me your birthright for it. Watch what happens. Genesis 25, 32 and 34. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up. So Esau despised his birthright. A very good thing that his birth order afforded him, a double blessing to lead his family. And what happened? He despised it. What good thing have you despised because of what you want right now? What good thing in your life have you despised because you, I need that. I got to have that right now. And God's going, no, no. You got to see this different. You got to see it different. See, we need to align our vision to what we need. This is actually where we get in trouble in the summer. Our vision for our life needs to originate out of what we need. And when we think about our summers, it's the place in our life where we feel permission to go, I'm going to have a vision for what I want. I want, this is, what do I want? I want to break. Somebody give me some rest. Y'all get these kids out of here. Mama needs a nap. We're going to go have some fun. Y'all ever tried to take a nap when you got kids? Those are moms laughing, by the way. No, it's not even, that's not a thing. But if you ever try to, have you ever, you got to fight for it. You're going to threaten them kids. Y'all get up. You get out of your bed. I don't care. You read. You play your tablet. You do whatever. You stay in your bed. You get, I'm going to spank you. I'm going to spank you. I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you to an orphanage in Africa. Why? Because you have to fight for it. You have to. doesn't matter what your vision is. You're going to have to fight for your vision in life. Whatever your vision is, you're going to have to fight for it. This is why if you have the wrong vision, you're going to be fighting the wrong fight. You're going to be sacrificing, going through pain, doing all of that for the wrong thing. You got to ask at some point, you got to ask the question, is it worth it? Is what I'm fighting for in my life worth it? So I'm going to give you five things that we really need. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Five things we really need. Number one, 
we need a thriving relationship with God. Y'all, I'm not talking about I raised my hand in the back of a Baptist church 25 years ago and I'm living like hell, but I'm saying I'm going to heaven. I'm talking about a thriving relationship with God. What else do we need? Number two, a healthy soul. Soul is, is, that's what's going on inside of me. And what's inside of me needs to be healthy. It needs to be healthy. Number three, a growing, enjoyable relationship with your spouse. If you're here, if you're married, you need a growing, enjoyable relationship with your spouse. If you've got kids, if you've got kids, you need a relationship with your kids that's captured their hearts. I'm not just talking about kids who are well-behaved and got all the yes-ma'ams and no-ma'ams. And, you know, you walk in and they're like perfect little soldiers and they do whatever you tell them to do. Have you captured their hearts? And number five, we need a community of mutually invested life-giving friendships. Now, I want you to do me a favor, okay? I know some of y'all are taking notes, but I, I want you to stop writing and think about this. Is that what you're fighting for in your life right now? Is that what you're fighting for? Are you fighting for a thriving relationship with God? Are you fighting to have a healthy soul? Are you fighting to grow your relationship with your spouse? Are you fighting to capture the hearts of your kids? Are you fighting to live in a community of mutually invested life-giving relationships? Or are you fighting the wrong fight? Are you fighting the wrong fight because you have the wrong vision? You'll never win at life if you're fighting the wrong fight. It's impossible to win if you're fighting the wrong battle. You can't win playing the wrong game. And too many of us, that's how we're approaching life. We need a new vision. We need a new vision. We need something new to kind of give us direction. What would your life look like if you got to this September and you looked back and you're winning? I mean, you might have to say, no, we were going on that vacation and I, I prayed about it and I felt God say no or we were going to do this and it was going to be a lot of fun, but I felt God say no. I felt like I needed a break, but I, I prayed that God said no. What would, but what would it look like if you got to September and you didn't have that break and you didn't have that vacation, but you looked back over your life and you said, I'm winning in my relationship with God. I'm, I'm winning in my soul. I'm winning in my relationship with my spouse. I feel like I'm winning as I parent my kids. I'm winning in the community of friendships that I've developed. Some of us, to get there, we're going to have to shift some things. But you will either shift things in life or you will drift in life. We all drift towards a default, just a way that outside of intentionality and God's design, we would naturally do things. And without the shift, we'll drift. And we don't drift towards good things. The right vision allows our lives 
to move towards God's design. So today we're going to get real practical. I'm going to go back through those things and I'm going to give you some real practical advice. So when we think about living in a community of friendship, mutually invested, life-giving friends, here's the first simple portion of vision for this summer. Number one, you'll never have the right friends if you don't make time for them. You'll never have the right friends if you don't make time for them. Now, here's the thing. We live in Stanley County. Y'all already got friends. Some of y'all don't even need more friends than your family. Your family's already taking up all your time. Your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, they're already your good friends. You spend time with them. You talk to them. You love them. You care about them. But you got to every once in a while take a step back and look at your life and ask, do I have the right friendships? Do I have the right friendships in my life? Sociologists would say that we are on average in different areas of our lives an average of our five closest friends. Do you want their relationship with God? Do you want their marriage? And a lot of us need to take a step back and go, you know what? No, I don't. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Some of y'all wondering, why do I always go through this in my, in my marriage? And you look around and your friends' marriages are in chaos and you're taking their advice on how to do stuff. Walk with the wise and become wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. If fun is the only goal you got in life, keep those friends. But if you're going to have a vision for something bigger and better, you might need to change some things. So let me explain two terms I used, mutually invested and life-giving, okay? Mutually invested. I've explained relationships by thinking about just family. There are father relationships in life. I pour a lot out into somebody. I'm a spiritual father. I'm practically, I might not be their dad, but I'm helping them through life. I'm giving a lot of advice. I don't expect a lot in return. There's some relationships where I'm a son. They're pouring a lot into me. They're giving me advice. They're, they're helping me along. I'm not giving, they don't need anything from me. I'm being poured out into. But then there's friendships, and friendships are mutually invested. I pour a lot into you, and you pour a lot into me. I receive from you, you receive from me. I, I, I'm cheering for you, I'm for you, I'm on your team. I want you to win. You're cheering for me, you're on my team. You want me to win. Mutually invested. That's a friendship right there. Then life giving. We use that term around here a lot. You know, in the New Testament, the Greek word used for life is the word zoe. Actually, it means something more than just biological life, all right? It's that sense of, have you ever been in a moment where you're like, I just never felt that alive. It's not that you're saying, like, my heart's never beat that way and I've never breathed. My cells have never functioned on that. It's not by, there's something about life, right? And so you need some friends in your life that you get around them and you walk away and you're like, I feel like they just poured some zoe into my soul. I feel filled up because y'all have been around some people, Right? that were life-sucking. I mean, you just leave them and it feels like they just sucked all that right on out of you. Life 
giving. I'm a, I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I'm not here to beat you down. I want to I want to give you some food for your soul. I want to tell you how how much you've blessed me. I, I want to build you up. That's what I'm what I'm here for. I want you to leave the time that we have together. I want you to leave it with your soul filled with something. That's why I believe that this room is so powerful. Left to our own devices, most of us find friends that look like us, vote like us, think like us, and live like us. But in a room like this, we can become friends with people who do not look like us, vote like us, and think like us. And there is such power. So can we just get real practical? Here's the first thing. Get in a group. Get in a small group. Spend some time with somebody. You might be saying, well, I'm not in a small group. Lead a small group. Get, a, get some friends together. Lead a group. Get in a group. It, I don't have time for a small group right now. It's the summer. We're bit getting a serve group. Come in on a Sunday once a month. Serve. Take care of some kids. Give somebody some high fives when they're walking in. And you know what happens when you get in a group? You get to be around somebody and you get to learn that, that there's something good in somebody else who might see the world differently than me. Use the margin this summer to be together more. There's more margin. There's more time. Use it to be together more. Why? Because we're better together. And if we're better together, we need to be together. We need friends. Mutually invested, life-giving friends and community. Then as we parent, I told you that the, what you got to do is you got to increase your influence. This is the advice this is the vision. Increase your influence with your kids by meeting them at their heart level. By meeting them at their heart level. I mean literally getting on the level of their heart and meeting them in life. This may be the most important thing in this parenting generation. The most important thing in this generation of parenting is maintaining influence in the hearts of your kids. I was talking to one of my former pastors a few weeks ago. He's raised a, a couple great kids, and then they adopted some kids, and they're now kind of coming into their, their teenage years. And I said, what's different? And he said, you know, when the older girls were growing up, just everybody around seemed to have common values and, and vision about what they wanted their, their, their families to look like and their kids to look like. And now with, with this generation, like that's not the way it is. You've got really good families that don't share the same approach. And so my kids are always looking at me going, why do I have to? Why is that happening? Why are you going to punish me for that? And he said, Kevin, if I lose their hearts, I lose them. You know, we normally ask our kids to meet us on our level, don't we? I want you to get your room clean. Whose definition of clean is it? It's your definition of clean. I want you to eat healthy. Whose definition of healthy is it? It's your definition of healthy. We normally want our kids to meet us. But where can you meet your kids at their heart level? Where can you meet your kids at their heart level? What, what's that thing that they're asking you to do? Dad, will you go outside and throw the baseball with me? Mom, could you sit here and look at what I'm doing? Hey, Dad, can we play a video game? 
Mom, can we go for a walk? Don't ask them to join you. Find ways that you can join them. I'm going to get real practical about this, okay? Can we get real practical? The activity doesn't matter. The conversation does. It doesn't matter if you're playing baseball or doing a video game or working outside in the yard. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but the conversation that's happening, that's where the influence is. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses has just told and retold. This is the second. He's retelling as he's about to die the Ten Commandments. And then after that, in verse 7, he says this in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, impress these commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Impress these laws on your children. You notice he lists, lists a lot of little venues of where that could happen, but it's the exact same parenting thing that's happened. We're walking on the road. We're having some dinner. It's bedtime. He's saying in all of those moments, find a way to impress these laws, these commandments onto the hearts of your kids. So if your kids want to go play ball, go play ball. They want to go swimming, go swimming. They won't sit around and, and play a video game, put it on mute and talk to them. Use these moments to intentionally talk to them about God. To intentionally help them learn how to see the world. Meet them at their heart level. You want to know why you got to teach them how to see the world? Because somebody is going to disciple your kids. Somebody's going to tell them how to think about conflict, how to navigate relationships, what the vision for their life should look like. Somebody's going to disciple them. And if you're a parent and you're in here, it should be you. And it should not be some YouTube personality, an Instagram influencer. It needs to be you. So meet your kids this summer at the level of their heart. I told you that part of our vision, if you're married, should be that we have a growing, enjoyable relationship with our spouse. Just to be real practical, I want you to see this, that a healthy marriage has grown. Some of us look at some people and go, man, I want what they got. Look at those Instagram posts. They say such nice things about each other. It might be that there's somebody in your life and they're, They've been married for 40 or 50 years, and I, I just want, I, I want what they have. Here's the thing. you got to go through what they went through to have what they have. It's grown. It's grown. A healthy marriage is grown. How do things grow? I'm going to give you three things. Seeds, fertilizer, and time. Seeds, fertilizer, and time. That's how things grow. So what kind of seeds are you planting in your marriage? Seeds are the words you speak, the things you do, the way you act. I was reading in Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6 is the home of the passage to which kind of the medieval church drafted out the seven deadly sins. The the writer lists out a, a list of sins and There's something in there that caught my eye as I was preparing for this message. Look at this. There are six things the Lord hates, no seven things he detests. 
a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. I want you to leave that verse up because I want to talk about a dynamic that happens in marriage that doesn't happen anywhere else. When you're married to somebody, you see the behind the scenes that everybody else only sees the front of the stage. And that's all you see from everybody else. You ain't married to them. You don't know what's happening in secret with them. You don't know what they're like behind closed doors. And it is real easy to try to compare your spouse against the behind the scenes to the front of the stage that you see in somebody else. And what can happen is you start believing a lie. They're that way. That's who they are. They're always like that. They're always going to be that way. And when you start speaking that into, into that marriage, the, those seeds sow discord into the family. You can sow sinful seeds. Or you can sow righteous seeds. But when you sow sinful seeds, you actually reap a harvest of unrighteousness. So let me give you some just practical advice. Sow seeds of encouragement, kindness, and love. I mean, find a way to start saying some stuff about your spouse that's encouraging, that's kind, that's loving. A lot of times we speak to our spouse as we see them in their worst moments. Why don't you start trying to speak to your spouse about them, say things about them to them as you'd like them to be. You might know they struggle with that, but talk to them like they can beat it. You might know that they're not good in that place, but give them a vision that you can overcome that. Speak to them as you'd like to see them. Sow seeds of kindness. Sow seeds of encouragement. And then fertilizer, right? <laughs> Y'all know what fertilizer is, don't you? We live in Stanley County. And when they fertilize fields around my house, you know it because of how it smells. If you do marriage long enough, there's going to be some moments when all of a sudden there's going to be a big old pile of fertilizer. I personally created one of these this past week. This past week, I led a team to Honduras with Children's Cup, and it was a great trip, and we've got so much good that's coming from that. There's a little something that happened while we were gone. My wife was with me, and it was just so busy. We didn't have talk, time to talk about it, and I was frustrated, and with, without being able to process that together, that frustration was growing. And I thought, we'll get on the plane, we'll be able to talk about it. And we got on the plane. And that's not a good, if y'all don't know this already, it's not a good place to have an argument on a plane, okay? And so my wife, being very wise on our first flight, we're not talking about that. And I thought, well, then maybe in between. And then it, and it, I, I just, I got really angry. 
and I started behaving a way that is, you could follow me around literally for months and never see me act that way. And then we, we got on the second plane and I, and I thought, well, maybe now, but I was, I was, I was so angry and I had let myself get in to such a bad place that within just moments of sitting down, the flight crew asked me to leave the plane. So there I am, walking off the plane. And my wife made the gracious decision to disembark the plane. Found out the next flight that I could get on was in 12 hours. I was humiliated because I, act, I don't ever act that way but I did so I immediately reached out to our overseers and said hey this is what happened I, I own it, it's my fault and I reached out to our few of our staff that were traveling with me and said y'all know me, that's not who I am but it was sinful It wasn't just a bad choice. It was sinful. I didn't represent you or church or most importantly, Jesus. And then we sat down. And I apologized to my wife for how I'd handled myself because I'd been so rude and so unkind. She forgave me, but we didn't rush past it started saying, what, what happened? Why did it happen? What needs to change so it won't happen again? Because here's the thing, you, you can encounter those moments and it'll, it'll be like some smelly, not good stuff or it'll become fertilizer. It's failure or fertilizer. And in life, you need to learn to fail forward. that night as we as we talked about it and and I, I repented and I do that now in front of you um, and if that's disappointing to you just give me time I'll probably disappoint you in other ways in the future but we've got to learn to fail forward next slide We've got to learn to fail forward. We, we, we've got to let the, the failure become fertilizer in our life. And then just to close out that point, thinking about how things grow, time. It takes time for things to grow. Give your spouse the attention or the gift of attention and time. Your, your, your marriage isn't going to grow if you don't give it time. And then most importantly, when it comes to that, most importantly, trust God with your marriage and with your spouse. There are times that you won't understand what's going on, but you've got to learn to put it in the hands of God and trust Him with it. When it comes to your soul, having a healthy soul 
We've talked about this for the past few weeks, and I want to encourage you today to accept the responsibility to care for your own soul. Accept the responsibility to care for your own soul. Nobody can do this for you. The condition of what's going on on the inside of you is always going to be uniquely your own fault. And when you find people, actually people will rarely prioritize the condition of your soul. But when you do find people that say, that matters, I want to make sure you're taking care of yourself. Are you pouring into you? Are you getting some time with God? Prioritize those people because you need to notice that. So what's the soul? The soul is our, our heart and our mind. It's, it's the life that we live on the inside. So think about that. How do I care for my soul? How do I take care of that thing that's on the inside? Well, the truth is that it takes dedicated time. I've told this story quite a bit, the story of an old mountain town that thrived off a river that ran through it. And they employed a, an old guy, went around all the creeks and cleaned them out throughout the season. They hit some financial struggles and decided they needed to close off his job and give him some early retirement. Before long after the, the old guy had quit his job, the river became muddy and, and, and polluted. And they brought him back in and said, why, why is what once flowed very clear and clean, why is it polluted now? And he said, well, you know, I was doing a lot of work that you couldn't see. Nobody could see it. You could only see the effects of it. And now that I'm not doing that, the tributaries that flow into the river, are, are they're, they're jammed up. There's logs and there's debris flowing into the water. And the water, until that's all cleaned out, the water's going to remain polluted. So they hired him back and he started back at his job. And before long, the river was flowing clean. Your soul is a lot like that. It takes a lot of work that nobody will ever see to keep things flowing clean on the inside. It takes time to examine your heart and mind. It takes time to do that. And for a lot of us, we need to be reminded that if you keep doing the same things, you'll keep getting the same things. If you keep doing the life the way you've always thought about it, you're going to keep ending up with the same results you've always had. So part of having a healthy soul is every once in a while getting before God and saying, God, I don't see it all. Help me see it. Proverbs 139 is one of those prayers. This is a prayer I pray a lot. Look at this, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. God, know my heart. Test my thoughts. If there's anything that's, that's trash inside my soul, if there's anything that's blocking that creek, jamming up that river, if there's anything that's causing pollution, God, show it to me. And then what do you do? Take out the trash and replace it with the Word of God. If you missed the last series, it's available on our app. It's available on our website. I would encourage you, if you're struggling with that battle in your mind, to go back and listen to Mindful. And then lastly, most important, make your relationship with God supremely central in everything you do. Jesus doesn't want to simply be your number one priority. 
He wants to be central in everything you do. Jesus wants to be the center of your family, of your career, of your finances. He wants to be at the absolute center of what you pursue in life. I want today in this room for there to be some people who step back and say, I'm going to change my vision about my life. I've been chasing after worldly things, and from here on out, I'm going to make sure that God is most important in my life. This summer, I might go on a vacation, but I'm going to go on a vacation, and I'm going to say, I'm coming home closer to God than I've ever been in my life. I might have a busy weekend this summer, but I'm going to decide that I'm going to trust in God for His strength when I feel weak. I might be tired and need some rest, but Jesus said, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest I'm not going to run to the bed I'm not going to run to the wine I'm going to run to Jesus and find rest you might be saying I want to have some fun in 1 Timothy 6 17 the Bible says that God has richly given all things to enjoy he's given it to us to enjoy there's so much in our life that God has given us to enjoy it's a gift not a God It's a gift, not a God. Don't make fun your God. Enjoy what God's blessed you with, but realize it's a blessing and a gift. You might be saying, I need a break from the broken things in my life, but instead of walking back into it while it's broken, how about take a step back and say, God, I need some wisdom. I need to know how to come back into it and be somebody that's different. If you'll make God supremely central, it'll change everything else. In Matthew 6, Jesus says something that should radically reshape the way we understand the world. He says in verse 31 and 32, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Put it right there. Okay, just leave that verse up there. In other words, when you think about your summer, stop saying, where am I going to get a break? Where am I going to get some rest? Where am I going to have some fun? Your heavenly Father already knows what you need. And so in the next verse, he says something that if we'll receive it, it changes everything. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Live the way that he's designed life to be lived. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Somebody today needs to decide that things are going to change for my summer. I'm not going to live the same way. I'm not going to have the same vision. I've had that same vision for a decade, and every fall I come back with the same problems. I might have to say no to some things, but I'm going to get to fall this year, and something's going to be different. If you want something different, you can't keep doing the same old things. You've got to change your vision if you want something different in life. And you might be saying, but Kevin, all that stuff takes more time. How am I going to meet my kids at their heart level and spend time with God and take care of my soul? And how am I going to do all that? Well, good news. 
It's the summer. And you've got more time. What if you got to the fall? Mid-September, you're just sitting around and reflecting on the last three months and your my relationship with God has, has never been in this place. I've, I've never felt so healthy on the inside. My marriage, I didn't even know it could be what it is today. And I feel like I've got the hearts of my kids. I'm surrounded by some friends. I didn't even know that this could happen. Would that be worth not going on a vacation? Would that be worth saying no to some good things so that you could go after some great things? What would it look like? It looked a lot different for a lot of us. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.